suppose we'll hear stories about addiction. We might. Oh. Stories about recovery, too. Mm, but mostly stories about how addiction turns smart, sensitive people into liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Liars? And thieves? And gluttons and whores. Oh, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are on the air with me, Nancy Adair the host and creator of Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores, the podcast that brings you both the dark and the light side of addiction and recovery. And today I am delighted to be once again with my co-host of season three, Mariana Casagranda, who is an artist in recovery, which our season three is dedicated solely to artists who are in recovery, hearing their stories, their triumphs, their concerns, and their path in recovery. So welcome. Thank you, Nancy. And thanks to everyone listening today. Um, my um, my delight, as always, is to refer to the recordings and to talk about what was discussed Um and my name, right, is Mariana Casagrande. I am an artist and an evolutionary astrologer and metaphysician and, you know, just privileged to be uh, another artist in recovery. Great. And what Mariana just referred to is that usually when we get together to do what I call topic shows, we are referring back to the last interview. And this past interview that I conducted was with my own sister. And Mariana knows my sister um, somewhat. I mean, not as well as I know her, being that I've known her my entire life. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. However, it's really fun to do an interview and with someone that I know so intimately. And Mariana had said that the interview itself had a quality to it that was a bit zen, you know, or very relaxed and that might have been the relationship between Meg and myself. I reflected on when I was doing a lot of portrait drawing, I would every once in a while have the person who was sitting for their portrait be someone that I'd known for multiple decades. And I swear that really did impact my ability to bring out their features. And there was a a delight in me, at least, to be able to capture that real likeness that is a likeness of spirit. It's not just the likeness of, oh, that looks like so-and-so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's entirely different when you're related on top of not just friends, but when you're related, they are your family and they know your story, right? Yeah, and we share some of the real light and the darkness mm -hmm. of recovery, especially, you know, what was poignant for me in that interview, although we didn't go any further into it, was the moment um, right now is the anniversary, the second year anniversary of our nephew's past. And he died uh, directly related to substance use. He died of a heroin overdose with heroin cut with fentanyl. Mm. And all of us in the family thought that the uh, hard drugs were in the rearview mirror for David. And it was shocking to mm. realize that they were not. And I think we each experience our own individual guilt around mm -hmm. could we have, should we have done something different? Mm -hmm. And uh, and then the very real experience of moving on from there 
in recovery. And I know, although he lives a very full and engaging life, my brother will never be the same, not after a tragedy like that. No, no. And most parents do not expect to outlive their children. Uh, It goes against the very nature of things, you know, um, to say the least. And and certainly in uh, unexpected or violent ways, you know, not easy, not easy. Yeah, what you said, it's it's not the nature of things, it's against the natural order, Mm -hmm. which is a lot as an evolutionary astrologer and metaphysician, I know the natural order is a greater, higher power than any kind of uh, Christian doctrine. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's not contained in a nice, neat little box. Um, And neither is nature, for that matter as we are learning uh, every single day in all parts of the world today, is not to be contained or to be condensed in in the power and the uh, range of expression there. Right. That's one of the things that I know you took away from listening to my interview Mm -hmm. with Meg is her love of volcanoes. Talk about nature in its most bestial form. Yeah, there, there was a as she was describing, you know, her relationship to wanting to visit volcanic sites and having that, that urgency since she was a child, it sounded like to me long, like to me as an evolutionary astrologer, that's an indication that this is connected to past life longing and memory. When someone that physically young has that kind of reaction to an image, there's a recognition at the soul level that supersedes the logic and understanding in this life. You know, so, you know, Meg framed it in, well, you know, young kids love dinosaurs and they're fascinated with volcanoes and all sorts of things. And I was just sort of smiling to myself because I was like, no, not so much, not through my lens. So my relative truth as it is. But there's something about what happens. And this is true for uh, indigenous people. When you come across something a piece of nature, an experience that that is out of proportion to the norm, such as being at the edge of an active volcano, not an everyday experience. There, in order to digest that and to understand that this too is possible, requires an entire shift of cosmology. You know, how do we relate to the larger world? And this was the beginning of religions in ancient people's times. They made this natural phenomena somehow symbolic of gods and goddesses who ruled things, often capriciously and at the whim of whatever. And our relationship or people's relationships, humans' relationship to these natural events was one that was fairly reverent and very clear that there was a power differential. Very clear. There is a volcano goddess, Pele. And I remember when I was with Meg out in Hawaii at the um, coastline where Kilauea volcano was still erupting, sending lava underneath the lava field to the ocean. And then it was like an experience of seeing land being birthed. And I remember walking out there and I happened to lose think it was a $20 bill from my pocket. And when I was kind of chasing after it on this lava field, I noticed that my sneakers 
were sticky, that it was melting the bottom of my sneakers, <laughs> the heat from the lava underneath. And I decided to let that be my offering to Pele. <laughs> I couldn't go any further in the direction that I was headed. And I think uh, that was a wise yeah. move. Yeah, yeah, that was a wise move on your part. Well, it's a great image. And yes, um, there have been goddesses of volcanoes in, in many cultures and, and gods and goddesses of all kinds of natural and weather phenomena. And um, that was the other thing that I thought about in uh, some of Meg's photographs of this, of lava flows or moments with lava was... Let me interrupt you for a second. You Mm -hmm. um, said that you saw Meg's photographs. You went to volcanoes.com to see some of the images. Um, I actually went to uh, under her name on Google, I went under uh, Meg Weston, phot- photographer in Maine. I just did a, you know, just a generic search, and up came a compilation of a number of different photographs with her, and you know, her photographs of nature, along with others. So it was really great because uh, it gave me a, a nice broad sweep of uh, some of the things she had photographed. But there was a couple of, there were a couple of close-ups of the lava flow that were just stunningly beautiful in there in their form and color. And there was one that was really mostly dark. And then there was this vibrant edge of the fire that was that was outlining the curve of the flow as it was moved. And it reminded me of sunrises or sunsets. You know, the intensity of that bright yellow, orange, black kind of edge that distinguishes it from the rest of the, the sky. And I thought about how you know, um, addiction often is similar to that in that the outside looks one way, but what's really happening is in, is internal. There's this combustion that's happening under the surface that we can both camouflage maybe in the beginning, but can't towards the end of our addictive cycles, if we're lucky to have an end to them. That what is, you know, what we, how we have developed this distorted relationship to, to alcohol or drugs or food can no longer be hidden. And I know for me, as an alcoholic and a food addict in recovery, you know, 300 pounds is hard to, hard to hide. It's hard to pretend you don't have a problem with food when you're that big. Um, And so I was relating to that photo as, you know, that kind of moment. I mean, it was stunning. It was a beautiful photograph. Absolutely gorgeous. But I thought, huh, interesting. I don't know if this image was among those that you've seen. There's one that my sister took a photograph of people photographing the active eruption of a volcano. And there's a dramatic diagonal line across the page. It's all black, dark, and the people are silhouetted black, dark. Um, and then the lava behind them is is bright orange. And it's, it's just a tremendous photograph in my mind. It's the one that I always think of when I think of her going around the world and photographing all these active volcanoes. <laughs> saw that and I was like oh my god what are these people doing <laughs> right it's <laughs> way too close for me but- well and that was the other part of our oh. interviewing conversation was like how close is too close <laughs> you know what is it when we dance on the edge and for me you know although it's fire and ice my my proclivity is to you know I have a passion for everything arctic and polar bears and I've climbed four glaciers in my life and <laughs> 
you know, I, I just, um, that is where my, where I'm called, you know, is it's almost the complete opposite. Um, and yet it's, it's edgy, you know, to be on the side of a, a widening crevasse versus on the edge of an erupting volcano. And, um, or, you know, the time I think about crossing a glacier moraine, which was made up of shale covering balls of ice. And down below was this um, glacier lake, you know, which would be freezing water. And the only way to get across the moraine was to go quickly. You know, mm-hmm. this is like you don't slide down if you keep going. And I, I just remember that it's, of course, I was in my 20s then. I don't go near something like that today, or at least not in the same way. And Meg was saying that too, that as we both are aging, the risk factors that we're willing to take is much less. Mm-hmm. I think it yeah. also comes with the sanity of long-term recovery. Correct. Yeah. Because I'm thinking, yeah, trying to get a foothold on on moving pieces of shale, I've tried that, you know, in a different context, is ridiculous. You feel like a gerbil, you know, like you have to keep scrambling because you can't exactly. afford to stop. Because if you stop, you're going to slide down and that's the end of the story. And I think about how often... I did that dance with my addiction and didn't even know I was doing it because it was just normal. It was normalized within the context of abuse of substances for me. I didn't think twice about it. I did, you know, ridiculous things with with people and drugs and and alcohol that today, oh my gosh, I would not sign up for. Um, And yet I think that that also, that I don't want to call it uh, inane sense of compulsion, but it is, I guess, will also allow us to come to the brink of, you know, these incredible experiences and something transforms in us, something changes, something opens up, something breaks open and allows us this glimpse of more of potential. And in a relationship with nature, to me, that feels not only awesome and awe-inspiring, but the hand of source or spirit to say, wake up, Tootsie, there's more than meets the eye here, you know, like, look at what's going on and experiencing that differently. I find that that's the compelling piece. I've had moments like what Meg was describing when I saw when I was out in New Mexico and and saw the night sky in its most glorious expression. And I could I felt about a millimeter high compared to all of this huge sky and huge presence. And I felt small and yet part of in a way that I had not felt before. It was, there was some, I felt like, okay, you know, that there was a vastness beyond my comprehension. And I was comforted by that. I was comforted by that. And seeing a whale for the first time, in, in in having it come up out of the water and going, you know, and not being able to comprehend how truly large they are. And most of it is underwater, so you're not even seeing the whole being. But to go, but to look at that and to, and to just have that moment of just wonder. Um, you know, if I wasn't in recovery, I wouldn't seek those things out. I wouldn't recognize them. You know, Meg was talking about the quality of light. We're responding to certainly 
a light as we have been exposed to it in the day, but it's light with a capital L, like light as a conveyor for spirit. And that's what the photography did for me too. Yeah, I was thinking about that when you were talking. I, I was thinking about the crucible of fire, you know, the the agent of change. Mm-hmm. And also in a lot of uh, everything from mythos to religious stories, the cleansing of water mm-hmm. and, you know, being submerged into water to come up refreshed and cleansed and renewed. Uh, how much of our recovery is, I used to call it like the Lazarus syndrome, like you were dead and now you're alive again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, there's one of those, I, I forget now exactly how the quote goes that, um, what is it about religion is for those that are afraid of going to hell, spirituality is for those who have been to hell and yeah. are, are back. Yeah, yeah. very Something much along so. Those lines. Yeah, yeah. There, the, the crucible piece just jump started me into this other image that you're familiar with, and I know this, you do, is the temperance card in the tarot. And the temperance card has the angel with, you know, the back and forth between the two uh, chalices or, you know, cups. But what it also represents is the tempering of one, of one's being. And to be tempered is, the analogy behind that is when you look at a blacksmith who puts a piece of iron into this incredibly hot fire, to heat up the, the iron to the point where it's malleable, pulls it out starts shaping it as it cools off, puts it back into the fire and back and forth and back and forth. And what's being removed by either active chiseling or by the fire's action itself are all the dross, all the unnecessary. And when that metal comes out of that uh, heat for the final time and is cleaned off, it is now a transformed tool to change someone's life. And that's what happens when we get tempered. And that's very similar to what can happen in recovery. Because, you know, for those of you who haven't had that experience, you know, there is a, a boot camp orientation around early sobriety, <laughs> early, early recovery in all of the A's that are really not a good time on any level and that require the letting go and the surrendering of things that, you know, we have gotten overly attached to and are unnecessary and that are interfering with our relationship with our evolution and with spirit or source and they have to go bye-bye whether we like it or not you know my meditation yesterday on insight timer actually said when you let go and the something you let go of resurfaces let go again letting go isn't a process as much as a practice and i love that you know i think oh because Meg and I used to joke and say, this surrender is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I also made a tarot bag for her one time in um, painting with silk, mm. uh, painting with dyes on silk. And it was of the temperance card in the mother piece tarot, which has mm-hmm. this enormous tsunami-like wave and a volcano in the background. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I believe there's also a phoenix in there, Phoenix Rise. So yeah. um, I love that idea of temperance. Although I'm also reading a book right now called the, it's titled The Truth of All Things. And it's written by a Portland author, Portland, Maine author. And um, and it's a murder mystery that takes place in Portland in the late 1800s. And I'm just really enjoying it. And they have the temperance movement, you know, oh, yeah. at that time. And, you know, we all know that wasn't very successful, but 
what if it had been, you know? <laughs> and I wonder if I would be a temperance person um, because I do believe that substances have caused so many such undue, unnecessary harm and lost to so many, um, as you said, you know, those of us that are lucky enough to have the opportunity to grow in recovery. Right. Yeah, we're lucky. We're very lucky. And um, and I and I was... You know, I think that um, it takes a while to feel lucky in recovery. It does really take a, a while. And I mean, we're in the month where traditionally people, you know, if they observe the holiday, they sit at a table and they share their meals with other family members and friends and give some gratitude. I feel like, you know, I have gratitude every day of the year that it's not a one day and done. And many times the gratitude is about the gift of life itself. Even if I don't like my particular day that I'm having, and there are days when I don't, days when I think, is this day ever going to end, please? You know, for whatever reason, um, I can be grateful for the things that I have in my life. And I have a, a chance, a second chance. I feel like someone who's been, I am, not I, I am, someone who's been given another chance to have a better life. And that is something I really don't want to waste. You know, I thought you were going somewhere completely different with that in terms of the holidays and um, Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and how really how much of a struggle that is for so many with addiction. And I was just one of the things that I was terrifically grateful for was to have the recovery that I have, particularly from food addiction alcohol as well throughout the pandemic, because the idea of sheltering in place, being isolated in active addiction, it was just horrifying to me. And it's really, even though it's been many years for me, I know that I'm literally like potentially one bite away or one drink or one drug away from being back in that ditch. You know, I, I like to say that, um, you know, if we're driving along uh, a road, I might be further ahead than you are, but we're the same six feet away from the ditch, <laughs> mm -hmm. basically. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because COVID had many of the ingredients that I had in my daily life as a food addict. Isolation, on my own, watching TV, not calling people, not, you know, getting into social situations out of my very, you know, I didn't want it. I wasn't interested. I needed my time and that was that. And I was perfectly happy, quote unquote, <laughs> in my own little, you in know, misery. in the misery of it all. Yeah. But when you don't have anything to compare it to, and this is your life as you know it, how, you know, you don't really understand the, the the difference and you don't really see your misery. You really don't in some ways. It's the buffer of the, you know, there was the buffer of the refrigerator to make and the TV and whatever else I was filling my life with um, that kept me um, from really investigating that too, too finely, you know, too closely. That was the point. And I did master that, I have to say. And the gratitude of which I had expressed earlier is about no longer needing to do that, that, you know, eating a meal is just that it's just eating a meal and we move on because we have a life to deal with, you know, it's wonderful. Well, and I've often said wow. eating abstinently is like eating a Thanksgiving meal every meal. So it is, mm -hmm. it is really lovely. Yep. Anything else that you want to say as we conclude? I can hear my dog barking in the background. <laughs> 
Yeah, I just, I thought the last, the sort of, uh, towards the end, there was a really lovely piece around um, emotions and feelings and, you know, the feelings having a cycle of beginning, middle and end to them, which was not something that I knew about prior to recovery and prior to work on myself and listening to others that I never let I never allowed feelings to have any sort of time in my life. And if they were uncomfortable or sad or scary or confusing, they were shut down right away. And I knew how to shut them down very effectively. And it was very uh, difficult in recovery to allow the feelings to have their time and to sit in that because I couldn't eat over it and I couldn't drink over it and I wouldn't. And then what, you know, and that that was part of uh, the boot camp, I guess, phrase I used. And that was also part of the real direct experience of, oh, I, I need to learn how to have feelings, express them appropriately, and and then watch them start and exist and then end. Very much like life, isn't it? With a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. I don't know where it fits. There was a, a thought that I had a few moments ago about uh, liking myself, loving myself, not like loving myself when I didn't like myself very much. Uh, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> you know why I'm <laughs> saying that? I, oh, I had this interesting conversation with someone in recovery the other day who was discussing her difficult relationship with her mother who's aging. And I just finished a whole chapter of that. And it was brutal. It was brutal in many ways. And what came out of that, along with watching my father's decline and death, and then, you know, my mother's decline and walking through all of those things, those were pivotal things, was somewhere along the road, I was being made capable of loving those two people, but not liking them most of the time or some of the time. And watching and experiencing my feelings back and forth and back and my judgments and my very humanness and the struggle of coming to terms with the fact that I couldn't stop any of their pain and I couldn't stop their aging process and their death process. I couldn't and I wasn't supposed to. But what happened for me in the loving at the same time of understanding that I didn't like them was beyond words miraculous. Because when someone is dying, there isn't time to go, hey, remember when I was 13 and I you pissed me off when you did this? There's none of that. There's, I guarantee you, there's no time for that stuff. If you haven't worked it out on your own, too bad, so sad. This is what's happening. The, the transition of that soul back to, you know, its origins, such as it is, prior to its coming back in another time, which is my belief and my, my uh, astrology supports that, if you will, or uh, it's part of that cosmology, is such a huge, huge period of time for coming to terms with things, you know, that are big. And end of life is big. It's a powerful moment of, you know, leaving the body and the soul continues its journey, just as powerful as giving, having the experience of being birthed, right? And I think particularly as women, or I will say for myself as a woman in this life, although I've never attended an actual live birth, I'd love to, but at the moment I haven't had a chance to. But being in that role of 
spiritual midwifery with my parents as they were in that process has been some of the most powerful thing for me in terms of spiritual development. It's a big experience. And I'm still, you know, digesting it and working on it, frankly. Thank you for sharing that. All right. That concludes another round of liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. (laughs) All of what we've shared today, the spirit of big acts of nature, including volcanoes and our emotions that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And when they can be the most powerful is sometimes the most transformative. Please come back and listen to us again. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, look for Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores on Spotify and Apple Podcast and on our YouTube channel. And you can get in touch with Mariana through her website. Why don't you tell listeners about that, Mariana? Thank you. Um, my website is marianacasagranda.com and you will find information on how to uh, email me or call me for more information about getting an evolutionary astrology reading uh, or uh, other services and I'm more than delightful uh, delighted to answer questions and talk to people um Thank you. Appreciate that. And and I'd like to encourage people to subscribe on my website, which is Nancy ending in an I, Adair, A-D-A-I-R dot com, nancyadair.com. And you can put a backslash in LTGW and go right to the subscription page for our podcast. And while you're there on the website, look around at all the other services that I provide. Thank you so much for listening today and be well. Do you suppose we'll hear stories about addiction? We might. Oh. Stories about recovery, too? Hmm. But mostly stories about how addiction turns smart, sensitive people into liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Liars? And thieves? And gluttons and whores. Oh, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Are you a fan of Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores podcast? Do you want to support the show and show off your love for LTGW? Look no further than You Can Do Merch Store, brought to you by host and creator Nancy Adair. 